Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in our truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Hello and welcome to Zero of the Day. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, presenting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming and helping you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around us. And as always, there's many ways you can join us on this illuminating journey. Um, if you would like to, you can call the number 347 347- Two three seven five two three zero. That is the number to call if you'd like to get your thoughts, opinions, insights on the air. Uh, to follow us on all our social media, we are on Facebook at the Zero Network on Facebook. Go there, listen to archived shows, leave comments, and share across your social media. And you can also find us on Twitter. The show handle is at Zero Radio at Z E R A Radio on Twitter. My personal handle is at Lorenzo T Neal. Follow us on Twitter. Let us follow you back and share this radio broadcast to all who would be willing to listen to this melodious voice of mine. <laughs> Game, we thank you so much for thinking in our robbery to tune in with us. Um, we have not been on in several weeks. Um, there's been a lot of things going on. We've been trying to uh, make some adjustments. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Been making some adjustments, and hopefully those adjustments have been well. And... Um, You'll be hearing more as time goes forward. We, um, and because of that, we are going to basically be um, doing a makeup show. This is pretty much what this is. It's a makeup show. We several things that we had initially started to do to talk about on this radio show over the last several weeks, and we would get ready to do it have it set up and get ready to go and something would come up, interrupt us and you know, some things were out of our control, some were in our control, we just didn't manage it well. <laughs> so that is what we're going to be doing today. And um it may not be a full hour show, but we're gonna go for as best as we can, as long as we can. Cause there's a lot of stuff that I really want to cover that has happened over these last several weeks that I did not get a chance to talk about. But I do want to talk about, but the first and foremost thing I want to do, uh, I want to take this time to honor the memory of uh, Secretary Colin Powell, Powell, General Colin Powell, Chief of Staff, uh, not Chief of Staff, what is it, Army, uh, whatever he was with Joint Chiefs of Staff, that's what it was, Joint Chiefs of Staff leader, the late, great Colin Powell. Um, if you were like me, you grew up in, if you were uh, around during the first Gulf War of 90, or, uh, 91, 92, 91, I have to remember because my brother, that's the year that he enlisted and um, went into service. But anyway, we got involved in the Gulf War, and he was the face, one of the faces, him and Schwarzkopf. They were the faces of that war. Um, 
and they seem to have a wonderful working relationship and great leadership skills. And Colin Powell went on to do some other things. And then that was under George H.W. Uh, Bush. And in the administration of George W. Bush, we saw something amazing happen. We saw Colin Powell be nominated and confirmed as the first black secretary of, of what is it? <laughs> secretary of State. <laughs> ah, Lord, I'm just all over the place. I thought I had my notes together. Y'all just bear with me. But he served as the first Secretary of State, the first black Secretary of State under the administration, the first term of George W. Bush. He was later succeeded in office by the first black female Secretary of State, none other than uh, Dr. Condoleezza Rice. Uh, those two were prominent figures in the beginning of this uh, new century because they showed um, that blacks could really achieve, and they helped pave the way for the election of the first black president, uh, <laughs> Barack Hussein Obama. And um, Colin Powell was noted for his leadership. He was noted for being a, a soldier who, well, he followed orders. And... Um, he also was known for speaking truth to power, being a member of the Republican Party. He he stood up when there were Republicans trying to uh, say that Obama was not a U.S. citizen, that he was born in Kenya, that he was a Muslim and all of that. Colin Powell courageously stood up and said, no, that's not the case, and it's fraudulent, and you need to stop it. And apologize. I don't think any of them ever apologized. Um, and of course, you know, Donald Trump famously heralded the birth of movement that later got him, some of those adherents followed him and elected him in 2016 to the presidency. I'm not saying all of them uh, did so, but uh, those, you know, those persons who were diehards supported Donald Trump later on. Anyway. It was reported that Colin Powell passed away earlier this week uh, from COVID complications. Colin Powell was fully vaccinated. However, he also had cancer, and that cancer um, uh, prevented his immune system from functioning at its highest quality, and he succumbed from the complications of that. And, of course, you know, his death has become politicized, not because of his legacy politically, but because persons are arguing for or against uh, the vaccines, and the persons are arguing um, that his death should not have happened because he was vaccinated, and others are saying, his was a breakthrough case, like many other breakthrough cases that are happening. Uh, either way, either way, they're using this politically. You know, I I, I hate that they are doing so. But the, there's one thing I do want to address. With uh, and although I had great admiration for Colin Powell, we cannot forget that he is also largely the reason that we entered Iraq in war in 2003. Um, he is also largely the reason because it was he who was the face of the argument regarding weapons of mass destruction that um, the Iraqis were hiding. And it, he went before the UN and he said that these weapons are on trailers uh, where they're mobile and could be hidden away from the inspectors, and the inspectors had gone in, and they had looked and looked and looked and did not find any, and we were later found that later uh, intelligence that he stated was later proven to be incorrect. Uh, I'm not going to say false because I don't know, but uh, if you want to say false, you can say it was false. Um, so he, unfortunately, that was the 
something that tarnished his image as a soldier, tarnished his image as a history maker, tarnished his reputation among many people because he allowed himself, and I think he did so honorably and sincerely, but he allowed himself to be the face of the shame of a war that lasted 20 plus years, uh, has last, well, did last 20 plus years. Well, not quite 20 years in Iraq, 20 years in Afghanistan and decades in Iraq. And then led to hundreds of thousands of lives, Iraqi lives, both civilian and military, uh, being lost. Um, and I hate that that is a that's a uh, tarnish on his memory, and we have to find a way to integrate that into his legacy without it being politicized. He thought he was acting honorably. He thought he was acting with the best intelligence, and it turned out not to be the case. And it, you know, there's the there's another facet to that when it comes to how black men are used in. Um, a society as pawns if if you pay attention they like to use us black men to uh, to be the messengers of, of things that are not necessarily in the black in the best interest of black people and that's just reality I think about it in the 70s as Jesse Jackson uh, rose to prominence with rainbow uh Coalition and all of that, and when it came down to the abortion issue, shortly after abortion was recognized nationally by the Supreme Court, um, it was Jesse Jackson that was the face of this. At first, he was anti-abortion, like most most Americans were at the time, um, but shortly he changed his tune and he became the face of uh, pro choice if we use that sense you know in black america encouraging it uh not directly but not opposing it in urban communities as planned parenthood sprang up across uh urban communities and not not this is not about anti-abortion or anything like that or pro-abortion or anything like that this is i'm just saying that they allowed his face him to be the message of it, not condoning it, even though he had it, he stated prior to that. And we can go down the line um, of how you know, I'll use the Black Caucus in the uh, U.S. The Congressional Black Caucus has long been used as instruments of uh, misinformation. <laughs> I guess you can you can say y'all got excuse me. Jax has a new friend, and they're, they're playing. <laughs> I wish they would play away from the door. Anyway, um, how, how when it comes to certain social issues that most black Americans are conservative, and it's just a reality. Most black Americans are socially conservative. They may be politically uh, liberal. For the most part, we're, we're well, uh, socially conservative, you know, and they they get the congressional black officers, uh, I mean, congressional black caucus members to bag policies that are not in the best interest of black Americans. They may be popular among white Americans, particularly those who are progressive white Americans. They are very popular, but they're not in the best interest of black Americans. But the Congressional Black Caucus becomes the face of this this message to get this these ideologies out, to get these, you know, support for any anything out. And not saying that it's a bad thing, but what I am saying is that it has not been uh it has usually not worked out to the best interest of uh our community. And and unfortunately, when it came to Colin Powell, it did not work out in the best interest of the country. It cost it has cost us trillions of dollars, trillions, not billions, but trillions of dollars, 
thousands of lives, and it has made uh, those entities, those those companies that uh, <laughs> profit from it, that have made them trillions of dollars also over the period of the time that uh, we've been fighting this war. Um, and we saw as as President Obama tried to pull troops out, the more they pulled troops out, the worse it got. We saw when they pulled out under President Obama's administration, they pulled out of Iraq. Immediately, ISIS began to rise, and we had a new face, a new enemy that we had to deal with because uh, the infrastructure was not there once we began to pull troops out. And now we're seeing a repeat of that that just happened this summer with Afghanistan and the infrastructure not being there. And immediately as troops pulled out, boom, the Taliban went right back in and um, regained control, full control. And we see all that, the chaos that is happening since then. I said all that to say, um, while that is a, a part of uh, the Honorable Powell's history, it should not be used in one way or another against him, his integrity, his principles, because that's what he stood for. He was a military man to the core, a soldier to the core. And I think we should honor him as that, recognize the breakthroughs that he he made on behalf of black people and how he represented black people in the highest spaces in the world and I think we should commend them for that um, and I honor him and his legacy and I hate that um, his death is politicized in one way or another to just prove somebody else's point I don't think that does him justice uh, or any other person like him I don't think it does them justice, however they uh, are impacted um, by this this uh, this COVID. But anyway, we do send our condolences to his family. Uh, may your uh, may they have strength in this moment, comfort in this moment, and find a way to continue building on his legacy that would greatly benefit young black boys and encourage them maybe to go in the military, encourage them to explore leadership. Because I'm, I'm telling you, I, I know this is way off, but I know these young black boys have some extremely, they are extremely gifted when it comes to leadership, strategy, all of that. I, I just observed them playing game, video games. I observed how they interact when I was a school teacher and even in a community, I observe how they interact. And I believe if they were just tapped into that part of themselves and if they had people to mentor them and do all that is necessary to gird them up in the way they should go, uh, we will see great, we will see a great generation of leaders come out from them. Um Peace and life and rest to General Colin Powell and to his family. So having said all that, I'm going to take a quick break. And uh, there are a couple of things. So, no, let me, you know what? I'm not going to take a break. Let me go ahead and since we're talking about Colin Powell, I'm going to go ahead and hold off on the break. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and talk about these vaccine mandates. And I'm going to tell you this. I am pro-vaccine, plain and simple. I, I believe you know, if we have a means of curving this this great disaster of a virus, then by all means we should use that. But what I am not a proponent of, and will never be a proponent of, is mandates. I, you know, everybody. I am a classical liberal, in in the, in the more political sense. I'm a classical liberal who is strongly believed in individual uh, rights. And, but I also know that individual rights contribute to the strong sense of community, and, and that sense of community is what makes us as both a 
uh, you know, a nation and a world. But what I don't think is that the government should infringe upon that with mandates. Okay, and, and let me explain my that. Now I, I'm, walk, I'm walking a very, very delicate line, so I want to make sure that what I'm about to say is clear. The government, if you are an employee of the government, has the authority to dictate how and what you are able to do. If you are an employee of the federal government in particular, you know, because of that, they do have that mandate to uh, dictate that certain aspects of your life. And in that sense, if the government can dictate that its employees, um, you know, wherever it may be, even if you're a bailiff in a federal courthouse, if you are a security guard at a federal um, penitentiary, you know, if you're an employee of the federal government, and unfortunately, they are in the government, the entity of the government is able to dictate such mandate to you. Now, when it comes to the privacy of businesses and individuals or contractors with the government, that's the, that's where the tricky thing comes in. You know, if if a private business even is does is doing business contractually with the federal government, the question is, does the federal government have the authority to mandate said dictates to that company, the independent company? I am able to believe that it does not. Um, you know, it may contract, but it does not have, I believe that is overreach. They can su- suggest that the company uh, make said incentive or dictate available, but not dictated directly. All right. Now, when it comes down to state and municipal governments, I'm of the same mindset. If you are a an employee of the state or municipal government, then that state or municipal government does have the authority to present such dictates upon you, um, and you can choose to leave and work in another space if you're able to find employment. You may find better employment in the private sector. I don't know. However, when it comes to mandates of the general public, um, I do not believe that they are authorized to do so. Um, there's overreach. However, we do have precedent. We know the federal government did it in several times throughout the history of these United States. Even though it's only been, you know, a very small history, the federal government has done so. You know, I think about rations of World War II, um, where the federal government put down, put in place certain things, and we saw it last year again <clears throat> when the federal government did so think did things that were uh, actionable for the moment in, in you know, what we call emergency things. They put in place these emergency things that were actionable for the moment that would be lifted. However, some of those things have continued. And um, it's, it's, it's crazy. But, you know, the argument for vaccine or anti-vaccine rest on the same argument for abortion, in my opinion, and some, not just my opinion, but a lot of people have used both, on both sides of the political uh, ideologies, have used this argument that it should be choice, okay? Um, choice to to uh, get it, to help your fellow American, your neighbor, blah, blah, blah. Choice to abstain because it's your body. And that's a very, very delicate delicate thin line um, because when it comes to other things we I, you know I have no problem saying that people at this time of the year should get their flu shot or anything like that I myself know that I have gotten a flu shot and still gotten the flu because the strain that they were using for that particular shot was not the strain that became you know wherever I was in contact with a person that had the flu, it was not the same strain. And I still caught the flu. And we know that to be the case with COVID-19. Um, there is, you know, the highlight has been on the Delta strain, Delta variant, but there have been dozens 
are variants and hundreds of strains that have they are, are discovering this is not just a singular uh, singular thing you know and because of that persons who have been vaccinated are again becoming sick from a different strain of the virus the research shows that and we are aware of that and you know it's it's a lot of misinformation and some intentional disinformation that is happening that is causing persons to be reactionary either negatively or positively towards this this thing however but mandates are not the the real answer to go because what we're seeing is people who would usually be reasonable persons when it comes to such you know actions but then you you put these mandates on and they turn full on rebel no you know outright and we're seeing this you know we're seeing uh persons who are critical personnel in this fight against this virus uh first responders nurses doctors all all of these persons are saying no we will work but we don't want to take this you know and Part of it is because of misinformation, disinformation. Some of it is just the liberty of personal choice. Whatever and however it is, we must be very careful. Um, I was re-watching um, CNN. Was it C- excuse me? Some main news, mainstream news media outlet talk about that um, some persons are believing that we are really preparing for it outright civil war not like the one we saw in the 19th century but a different one that will be fought differently (laughs) it won't be fought with weapons we won't see hundreds of thousands of lives dead on battlefields but this will be one of information this will be one on how information is presented how information is received and interpreted and uh, that is going to be critical. So, so I, wherever you fall on the spectrum of vaccination, you know, mandate or not, the one thing we should all be concerned about is our fellow man, our brother, our sister, our neighbor. And as the scripture says, we should love God first with all our heart, soul, mind. We should love our neighbor as ourselves. And however that love is your choice to present to others regarding this vaccination, that that love is your choice. Um, and I believe all humans in this country are capable of making a choice that will be for the greater. All right, I'm going to take a break. And when I come back from the break, I'm going to talk about the firing of John Gruden and comments that um, Pastor um, uh, Dwight McKissick made regarding the firing and racism. So we'll talk about that and a couple of other things that we will discuss when we come back from the break. We'll be right back. may find it hard to believe, but at one point in your life, you're going to need access to reliable legal services. Legal issues can be confusing, complicated, and even a bit embarrassing. That's why I joined the family at Legal Shield. Legal Shield offers the most affordable, comprehensive legal coverage available. And for a small monthly fee, I have access to Legal Shield's personal plan that includes attorneys who will represent me and provide me advice, even draft and review documents on my behalf. Not only do they provide excellent legal service, but with their ID shield, I'm also guaranteed protection from all fraud, including identity theft protection. Did I mention to you I have so many perks and benefits that come with being a member of Legal Shield? Yeah, they pretty much cover the plan myself. For the last 45 years, Americans have trusted Legal Shield for all their legal needs, and I'm glad that I've joined them. So give them a call. Visit their website, www.legalshield.com. I'm telling you, you will be glad that you did. 
I'm Dr. Lorenzo O'Neill, and I like to speak with my fellow clergy about a way to enhance your life and ministry. Are you looking to better connect with yourself and those you minister to? When was the last time you explored your emotional intelligence and health? I want to offer you my service as a coach and counselor. I've developed a six-week coaching program with a specific focus on self-differentiation. My background in education, leadership, and community counseling psychology gives me a unique look because a connection between our emotional wellness and our ministry, blending spiritual principles with a family system's approach to ministry, I will help you become a highly self-differentiated person with a ministry that is engaging, liberating, and transforming. Contact me at PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com to schedule your first session with me. I'm looking forward to hearing from you and working with you to serve this present age and to fulfill and engage all yourself to do your master's will. Blessings. You're listening to Zira Today with Dr. Lorenzo Neal. Listen, if you're a new listener, I thank you so much for taking in our robbery to follow us and listen to us on Zero Today Radio Show. If you have not done so, I want you to go over to the Zero Network on Facebook, like that page, listen to archive shows, follow us so you can listen. We are available on every uh, platform from Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, and iPod. I mean, iPod. <laughs> Not iPod, <laughs> uh, Apple Podcast. <laughs> Man, I maybe I, I didn't have an iPod back in the day. Maybe that's why I said it. But uh, wherever you can listen to a podcast, we are on that platform, and we want to thank you for tuning in and thinking of our robbery. Also, if you haven't done so, go to patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal. Become a patron for as little as a dollar a month and support this show, the work that we do. Uh, all that we're doing and trying to do to empower this world. All right, so um, this segment, I really want to talk about two things. And uh, the two things <laughs> that are, they made headlines last week um, with the Raiders firing uh, their head coach, John Grudem. Uh, I think I said it's like John Grudem after um, it was uncovered that some emails that he had some years ago um, had uh, insensitive material in it. And I'm going to put it that way. Um, Insensitive material regarding um, some players, regarding um, leadership of the players' union, um, regarding female referees. Uh, You know, there's no way you could justify um, many people were calling it homophobic, homophobic, racist, misogynistic. I call it just another white man talking. <laughs> I know that was insist. <laughs> that was racist. <laughs> but but the, the reality is, John Gooden's firing. Uh, is just an uncovering of a long-standing. Uh, it's not policy, but long-standing behaviors of people within the NFL, leadership 
team leadership, team owners, coaches, all of that is a longstanding um, locker room talk. Football is supposed to be a tough sport, and for it to be a tough sport means you had to talk tough, and um, that talk went from the mouth to the keyboard in this case, and it did lead to his firing. But what it also demonstrates is a a, a sensitive NFL. It's, it's the, 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 it seems like the more modern American sports become, the more sensitive they become, and the more they coddle to trends and ideals that went against what they promoted as, you know, was supposed to be American. <laughs> you know, the American male athlete was supposed to be tough, buff, and able to take stuff. Hey, I just made a rhyme. And um, Gruden's firing reveals that that is no longer the case. Why that isn't the case, I don't know. I'm not a professional athlete, um, but what I do know is that it is turning off a large portion of his audience who doesn't want to see things like that. They want the, the misogyny. They want the homophobia. They they want all of that because that's their idea of what a tough man is supposed to be. You know, and that's black and white. You know, the fans, black and white, don't want to see what they are calling as uh, a numbing down of the sport. You know, a coddling of the sport. Players uh, not only are put first because of health reasons, yes, but, you know, it's just not as tough as it used to be just 20 years ago. And, and that's really what this whole thing is is about for some people. And then others, it's really a um, an uncovering of how they have tolerated how the NFL as a corporation, a nonprofit corporation, by the way, has profited and tolerated from that very same behavior regarding its players and because now a great majority of the players are uh, persons of color and um, they, they see this heightened sensitivity that has taken an effect on viewership and all of that um, but one pastor uh, has seen its relation to another systemic area of American society, and that is the church, more particularly um, white evangelical. When Pastor Dwight McKissick uh, was saying that he wished evangelicals, white evangelicals, would do the same as the NFL did done to Grudem. What is that? That the white evangelical church, Christian church, and let me be more specific, uh, speaking more those who, uh, particularly the Southern Baptists, <laughs> more particularly, but those those persons who identify as white and evangelical, uh, regardless of the denomination or the faith community that they are formally affiliated with, that these persons would speak truth to power and that these persons would do what is necessary to bring an alignment to the reality that's happening uh, in parallel with the NFL. As more black congregations become affiliated with some of these more conservative evangelical white uh, faith communities, that they need to reflect the historical bias, antithesis, and all that, and uh, antagonism that they may have engaged in intentionally or unintentionally, that they need to be more vocal in addressing those persons who are outright vocally expressing things that have racial overtones, racist overtones, you know, 
and that they should do it with the utmost intent and urgency. And I have to say I agree with Pastor McKissick on that. Um, and, you know, I, I was a part of the Southern Baptist Convention when I was in college. I helped plant churches, helped uh, bring black congregations into the Southern Baptist Convention in Arkansas. And I was glad to have done so uh, because it was a welcoming community. Uh, <laughs> uh, there were some races in there. There were clearly some white people who did not want to see that happen. But for the most uh, most part, they were welcoming. And, you know, and I was part of a congregation um, that was duly affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention and the National Baptist Convention USA. And we had the privilege of being able to see both sides. And I had the privilege of being able to minister in congregations, white congregations, where there was still some fear about black folk even coming into the church, you know, and to see the reaction and to, to see the welcoming of the pastors, especially in the in the, the hick towns of Arkansas. Yeah, that was always fun to be received by them and to be able to preach in my black tradition. Amen. And then minister in spiritual gifts when some of them didn't even believe in certain uh, spiritual giftings and all of that and be able to minister to that and to see they were receptive and they only not only were receptive but they loved me and they were showing their support you know financially and all of that but they weren't doing it because they felt guilt well let me speak uh, some of the persons that I directly interacted had the greatest heart and love of God towards myself and other blacks. And, um, but there were still overtones of this racially segregation that was still kind of present. You know. And I was fortunate. I did speak at some white churches on Sunday mornings. <laughs> I, I, I did have the privilege of doing some of that. And, I, and even on some Wednesday evenings, you know, I used to go. I, we love going to the first, uh, local First Baptist Church in Pine Bluff. We go there and be welcomed. Play in the, they had they had a bowl. Um, not bowl, they had a racquetball court. We go play racquetball. We go uh, skate and all of that stuff. We had fun, and it was welcoming. But anyway, now Mulder, I also recognize. Uh, I also recognize the, the reality is is that a lot of these because of the, you know, the overtones of the Black Lives Matter movement that gave them this sense of, of, of fear because they did not share in the, uh, the entirety of the Black Lives Matter movement sentiment. You get what I'm saying? And that fear of, of reprimand, and all the other stuff that, that came with that not fully embracing and that sentiment. Um, you know, we all know all lives matter. That is a, <laughs> you know, all lives mean all. And to have, you know, if you if you said all lives and then you get attacked for saying all lives instead of black lives, of course you will withdraw. And then within the black church um, collectively trying to find that balance to say that, yeah, we agree. All lives matter. Black lives matter in this space because of the way some of these black lives are being taken, both by law enforcement and at the hands of our own, you know, our own black hands. We must say and we must raise the reality of black lives matter. But then the other component said, no, black lives matter within the greatest move, uh, the greatest fear uh, this interconnection and this intersectionality. And so when you say Black Lives Matter, you also have to mention trans lives. You also have to men mention all of this other stuff. And when you put all of that and you say, hey, you white person accept this, of course they're going <laughs> to reject it. <laughs> More likely they would. And so what, what McKissick is saying and what I am echoing is for those then this, their ranks to say, hey, we need to do a better assessment of ourselves. They're doing it now when it comes to the sexual uh, that they're 
their the denomination is experiencing um and all of that stuff that's coming there they're doing it they're trying to address their head on and i think they need to do the racial component the same way because with the rise of this nationalist patriotist uh sense of white christianity then unless you are a pure american patriot bleeding red white and blue supporting trump then you're not a true christian you know we have we have to disavow that they have to disavow that rather and they have to find a way to embrace this this sense of of sin is what it is and address it if they're going to call sinners to come to the Christ who is able to redeem them from everything, they themselves need to turn that sin, that that sin, that scarlet on them, so that they could be made clean. I know what the the lyrics of the hymn said: "Though your skin be your sins be as scarlet, I will make them." You know why? I don't, I don't want to say it that way, <laughs> but they do need to be made clean. And I do hope. It is my hope that in, in the days, in the years to come, that this will be addressed. Uh, and I know Dr. Moore, who was who was the president of the uh, Ethics Committee of the SBC, has been challenging this on several fronts, you know, and he's taken heat from it. Um, but it's something that really, they really do need to do, you know, they want to, if they want to see a the true face of American Christianity, they have to say the true face of American Christianity is not pale. <laughs> they have to say that the true face of American Christianity is not pale, but it's full of color. <laughs> uh Anyway, oh, one more thing. Bishop Marvin Winans, uh, there was a clip released of him uh, a few weeks back that dealt with this very, well, didn't deal with this, but uh, in his in his sermon that he was preaching, he was trying to address uh, the one body in Christ thing, and uh, but the clip that was released got him talking about no black church. The black church doesn't exist. Uh, there really is no black church. And he was saying, saying that using the vernacular and the means of the black preacher, the tonal, tonal constructs and uh, hoop, if you will, or tune more likely because he's a singer. Hoopers aren't always singers. Some hoopers just make the noise. Ah. But the the tuners, they they're the ones that they do the run. Oh, I see how y'all see. I'm not one. <laughs> anyway, so he was he was fired for that for that clip, and it was implied that he was ignorant of the history of the black church, the cause of the black church, and even the tradition of the black church that got him where he is as a gospel artist from the black church and of course they most people didn't look past that that uh, minute or so clip to the totality of the of the message he was trying to play uh convey now he did a very poor job period <laughs> together with it. I listened to the whole thing and it was, it was not good not good in the sense that you know uh uh let me leave that alone he tried <laughs> but anyway, so he he calls flag for that, and oh, and yeah, he's engaged now. A uh, bishop Marvin Winans is now engaged, uh, and uh, he introduced his fiance to the church a few weeks back. Um, you know, it's it's just funny the clip of him preaching and that one minute clip of him talking about there is no black church, and then. Just about a week or two later, he introduces his fiance to his church. Ah, it's just how interesting is that? How much of a coincidence? Anyway, you know that I know people who say he should be pastoring if he's divorced. Uh, he should not pastor if he's 
divorce and remarry. Um, you know what? I know I, I can I could present an argument and a counter argument to that, but I'm not not going to do that. It's not the platform for that. But anyway, however you want to interpret that, y'all folk are still going to listen to your preaching scene. <laughs> anyway, that's all I have for today. I'm going to get out of here. This, like I said, it's just random topics from uh, the several weeks that I have been unable for one reason or another to do a show. And I do apologize. We're going to get back to being consistent. Um, we are working. Let me show you. We're working on trying to, you know, we, when we first began with prime time, we had a, a evening uh, time, and we're trying to find the best. Uh, my schedule has changed, and uh, we're trying to find the best fit for the uh, a best time slot for the show um, to regrow our audience. We have an international audience, and I'm grateful for all the hundreds of thousands of you who listen across the world. I appreciate you so much. But uh, we're just, we're making adjustments. That's all I can say. And um, we'll, we'll, we'll get it right. And uh, we hope that you pray that we get it right and that you support us. This is a listener-supported show, and we appreciate all the support that you do. But, again, follow us on all the social media. You can find us on Facebook, at the Zero Network. Go there, like that page. And listen to archived shows. Follow us on Twitter um, and any other platform that you can find a podcast: Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts. We are on there. Download us, follow us, so you can get all the episodes. And make sure that you support us. Uh, Patreon.com. And uh, that's pretty much all that I have. We'll be, we'll hopefully be back soon. Um, and I'm not going to give you a time or anything like that because, like I said, we're just we, we're trying to find this balancing act. And as soon as we get our groove back, you will know. But until then, this is Dr. Lorenzo Neal. You guys stay great, stay loving, and stay empowered to serve this present age. And I'm going to get out of here, you guys. Have a great day.